Chapter Thirty One of The Protector by Harold Bindloss. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Protector by Harold Bindloss. Chapter Thirty One. Vane is reinstated. Breakfast was over, and the two men, wrapped in blankets, lay on opposite sides of the fire. Now that they had a supply of provisions, haste was not a matter of importance, and the rescue party needed a rest. Carroll was aching all over his body, and somewhat disturbed in mind, because he had not said anything about their financial affairs to his comrade yet, and the subject must be mentioned. "'What about the Claremont?' Vane asked at length. "'You needn't trouble about breaking the news. Come right to the point.' then to all intents and purposes the company has gone under it's been taken over by horsefield's friends nairn has sold our stock at considerably less than its face value and carroll added a brief account of the absorption of the concern ah said vane whose face set hard i anticipated something of the kind last night i saw how you kept clear of the matter but you said nothing no said vane i'd had time to consider the thing while i lay here and it didn't look as if i could have got an intelligible account out of you but you may as well mention how much nairn got for the shares he lay smoking silently for a few minutes after carroll told him and the latter was strongly moved to sympathy since he thought it was not his financial reverse but one indirect result of it which would hit his comrade hardest well said vane grimly i suppose i've done what my friends would consider a mad thing in coming up here and i must face the reckoning carroll wondered if their conversation could be confined to the surface of the subject because there were depths it would be better to leave undisturbed after all you're far from broke he said as cheerfully as he could you have what the claremont stock brought in and you may make something out of this shingle splitting scheme there was bitterness in vane's laugh when i left vancouver for england i was generally supposed to be well on the way to affluence and there was some foundation for the idea i had floated the claremont in the face of opposition people believed in me I could have raised what dollars I required for any new undertaking. Now a good deal of my money and my prestige is gone. Folks have very little confidence in a man who has shown himself a failure. Besides, I may be a cripple. Carroll could guess his companion's thoughts. There was a vein of stubborn pride in him and he had no doubt decided it was unfitting that evelyn's future should be linked to that of a ruined man this was an exaggerated view because vane was in reality far from ruined and even if he had been so he had in him the ability to recover from his misfortunes still the man was obstinate and generally ready to make a sacrifice for an idea carroll however consoled himself with the reflection that Evelyn would probably have something to say upon the subject, if she were given an opportunity, and he thought Mrs. Nairn would contrive that she had one. 
"'I can't see any benefit in making things out as considerably worse than they are,' he said. "'Nor can I,' Vane agreed. "'After all, I was getting pretty tired of the city, and I suppose I can raise enough to put up a small power mill. It will be a pleasant change to take charge for a year or so in the bush. I'll make a start at the thing as soon as I'm able to walk.' This was significant because it implied that he did not intend to remain in Vancouver, where he would have been able to enjoy Evelyn's company. But Carroll made no comment, and by and by Vane spoke again. "'Didn't you mention last night that it was through Miss Horsfield you got the tug?' he asked. "'I was thinking about something else at the time.' "'Yes,' said Carroll. She made Horsfield put some pressure on the people who had previously hired the boat. "'Ah,' said Vane, "'that's rather strange.' For a moment he looked puzzled, but almost immediately his face grew impassive, and Carroll knew that he had some idea of Jesse's treachery. He was, however, sure that any suspicions his comrade entertained would remain locked up in his breast. "'I'm grateful to her anyway,' the latter resumed. I believe I could have held out another day or two, but it wouldn't have been pleasant. Carroll began to talk about the preparations for their return, which he soon afterwards set about making, and early next morning they started for the sloop, carrying Vane upon a stretcher they had brought. Though they had to cut a passage for it every here and there, they reached the vessel safely, and after some trouble in getting him below and onto a locker, Carroll decided to sail straight for Vancouver. They were favored with moderate fair winds, and though the boat was uncomfortably crowded, she made a quick passage and stole in through the narrows as dusk was closing down one tranquil evening. As it happened, Evelyn had spent part of the afternoon on the forest-crested rise above the city, up which new dwellings were then creeping, though they have, no doubt, spread beyond it and back into the bush by now. From there she could look down upon the inlet, and she had visited the spot frequently during the last few days, watching eagerly for a sail that did not appear. There had been no news of Carroll since the skipper of the tug reported having landed him, and the girl was tormented by doubts and anxieties. She had just come back and was standing in Mrs. Nairn's sitting-room when she heard the tinkle of the telephone bell. A moment or two later her hostess entered hastily. "'It's a message from Alec,' she cried. "'He's heard from the wharf. Vane sloops crossing the harbor. I'll away down to see Carol brings him here.' Evelyn turned to follow her, but Mrs. Nairn waved her back. "'No,' she said firmly. "'You'll bide where you are.' See they get plenty lights on, at the stairhead and in the passage, and the room on the left of it ready. She was gone in another moment, and Evelyn, who carried out her instructions, afterwards waited with what patience she could assume. At last there was a rattle of wheels outside, followed by a voice giving orders, and then a tramp of feet. The sounds brought her a strange inward shrinking but she ran to the door and saw two tattered men awkwardly carrying a stretcher up the steps 
while Carroll and another assisted them. Then the light fell upon its burden, and half prepared as she was, she started in dismay. Vane, whom she had last seen in vigorous health, lay partly covered with an old blanket which had slipped off him to the waist, and his jacket looked a mass of rags. His hat had fallen aside, and his face showed hollow and worn and pinched. Then he saw her, and a light sprang into his eyes, but next moment Carroll's shoulder hid him, and the men plodded on towards the stairs. They ascended them with difficulty, and the girl waited until Carroll came down. "'I noticed you at the door, and I expect you were a little shocked at the change in vain,' he said. "'What he has undergone has pulled him down, but if you had seen him when I first found him, you'd have been worse startled. He's getting on quite satisfactorily.' Evelyn was relieved to hear it, but Carroll, who had paused, continued, "'As soon as the doctor comes, we'll make him more presentable.' but as i'm not sure about the last bandages i put on he can't be moved till then afterwards he'll no doubt hold an audience there was nothing to do but wait and evelyn again summoned her patience before long a doctor arrived and carroll followed him to vane's room alone the latter's face was very impassive though carroll waited in tense suspense while the doctor stripped off the bandages and bark supports from the injured leg. He examined it attentively and then looked round at Carroll. "'You fixed that limb when it was broken in the bush?' he said. "'Yes,' said Carroll, with a desperate attempt to treat the matter humorously. "'But I really think we both had a hand in the thing. My partner favored me with his views.' I disclaim some of the responsibility. Then I guess you've been remarkably fortunate, which is perhaps the best way of expressing it. Vane raised his head and fixed his eyes upon the speaker. It won't have to be rebroken. I'll be able to walk without a limp. I should say the latter's very probable. Vane's eyes glistened and he let his head fall back. "'It's good news, better than I expected. "'Now, if you could fix me up again, I'd like to get dressed. "'I've felt like a hobo long enough.' "'The doctor nodded indulgently. "'We can venture to change that state of affairs, "'but I'll superintend the operation.' "'It was some time before Vane's toilet was completed, "'and then Carroll surveyed him with humorous admiration.' "'You do us credit, and now I suppose I can announce that you'll receive,' he said. Nairn and his wife and Evelyn came in, and the former, who shook hands with Vane very heartily, afterwards looked down at him with twinkling eyes. "'I'd have been glad to see you however you had come,' he said, and Vane fully believed him. "'For all that, this is not the way I could have wished to welcome you.' "'When a man won't take his friend's advice, what can he expect?' said Vane. "'Let it be a warning. If the making of your mark and dollars is your object, you must stick to it and think of nothing else. 
you cannot accumulate riches by spreading yourself and philanthropy's no lucrative except maybe to a few it's good counsel but i'm thinking that's a pity his wife remarked what would you say evelyn the girl was aware that the tone of light banter had been adopted to cover deeper feelings which those present shrank from expressing but she ventured to give her thoughts free rein i agree with you in one respect she said but i can't believe that the object mentioned is mr vane's only one he would never be willing to pay the necessary price it was a delicate compliment uttered in all sincerity and vane's worn face grew warm he was however conscious that it would be safer to avoid being serious and he smiled well he said looking for timber rights is apt to prove expensive too i had a haunting fear i might be lame until the doctor banished it i'd better own that i'd no great confidence in carroll's surgery carroll keeping strictly to the line the others had chosen made him an ironical bow but evelyn was not to be deterred it was foolish of you to be troubled she declared it isn't a fault to be wounded in an honorable fight and even if the mark remains there is no reason why one should be ashamed of it mrs nairn glanced at the girl rather sharply but carroll came to his comrade's assistance strictly speaking there wasn't a wound he pointed out fortunately it was what is known as a simple fracture if it had been anything else i'm inclined to think i could have treated it nairn chuckled as if this met with his approval but his wife turned round and they heard a patter of footsteps on the stairs yon bell has kept on ringing since we came up she said i left word i was not to be disturbed well as the door opened what is it minnie the reception room's plumb full announced the maid who was lately from the bush if any more folks come along i won't know where to put them now the door was open evelyn could hear a murmur of voices on the floor below and next moment the bell rang violently again which struck her as a testimonial to the injured man vane had not spent a long time in vancouver but he had the gift of making friends having heard of the sloop's arrival they had come to inquire for him and there was obviously a number of them mrs nairn glanced interrogatively at carroll it does not look as if they could be got rid of by a message i guess he's fit to see them carroll answered we'll hold the levy if he'd only let me i'd like to pose him a bit mrs nairn with evelyn's assistance did so instead rearranging the cushions about the man in spite of his confused and half-indignant protests and during the next half hour the room was generally full people walked in made sympathetic inquiries or exchanged cheerful banter until mrs nairn forcibly dismissed the last of them after this she declared that vane must go to sleep and paying no heed to his assertion that he had not the least wish to do so 
she led her remaining companions away. A couple of hours had passed when she handed Evelyn a large tumbler containing a preparation of whipped-up eggs and milk. "'You might take him this and ask if you would like anything else,' she said. "'I'm weary of the stairs, and I would not trust Minnie. She's handiest at spilling things.' "'It's the third, and I'd better say firmly, the limit,' Carroll remarked. Then he assumed an aggrieved expression as Evelyn moved off with a tray. "'I can't see why I couldn't have gone. I believe I've discharged my duties as nurse satisfactorily.' Evelyn shared his suspicions. Her hostess's artifice was a transparent one, but she nevertheless fell in with it. She had only seen Vane in the company of others. This might be the same again tomorrow, and there was something to be said. By intuition as much as reason, she knew that there was something working in his mind, something that troubled him and might trouble her. It excited her apprehension and animated her with a desire to combat it. That she might be compelled to follow an unconventional course did not matter. This man was hers, and she could not let him go. She entered his room collectedly. He was lying, neatly dressed, upon a couch, with his shoulders raised against the end of it, for he had thrown the cushions which had supported him upon the floor. As she came in, he leaned down in an attempt to recover them, and, finding himself too late, looked up guiltily. The fact that he could move with so much freedom was a comfort to the girl. She set down the tray on a table near him. "'Mrs. Nairn has sent you this,' she said, and the laugh they both indulged in drew them together. Then her mood changed, and her heart yearned over him. He had gone away a strong, self-confident, prosperous man, and he had come back defeated, broken in health and fortune and terribly worn. Her pity shone in her softening eyes. "'Do you wish to sleep?' she asked. "'No,' Vane assured her. "'I'd a good deal sooner talk to you.' "'Well,' said Evelyn, "'I have something to say.' I'm afraid I was rather unpleasant to you the evening before you sailed. I was sorry for it afterwards. It was flagrant injustice. Then I wonder why you didn't answer the letter I wrote at Nanaimo. For a very good reason. I never got it. Vane considered this for a few moments. After all, he said, it doesn't matter now. I am acquitted. Absolutely. Do you know, he said, I've still no idea of my offense? Evelyn was exceedingly glad to hear it, but a warmth crept into her face, and as the blood showed through the delicate skin, he fixed his eyes intently upon her. It was all a mistake. I'm sorry still, she declared penitently. Oh, he said in a different tone, I wouldn't trouble about it. The satisfaction of being acquitted outweighs everything else. Besides, I've made a number of rather serious mistakes myself. 
the search for that spruce for instance is supposed to be one no said evelyn decidedly whoever thinks that is wrong it is a very fine thing you have done it doesn't matter in the least that you are unsuccessful you believe that of course how could i believe anything else the man's face changed again and once more she read the signs whatever doubts and half-formed resolutions and she had some idea of them had been working in his mind were dissipating well he said I've sacrificed the best of my possessions and destroyed the confidence of folks who, to serve their ends, would have helped me on. Isn't that a serious thing? No. It's really a most unimportant one. I, and the slight pause gave the assertion force, I really mean it. Vane partly raised himself with one arm and there was no doubting the significance of his intent gaze. I believe I made another blunder, in England. I should have had more courage and have faced the risk. But you might have turned against me then. I don't think that's likely, said Evelyn, lowering her eyes. The man leaned forward towards her, but the hand he stretched out fell short and the trivial fact once more roused her compassion for his helplessness. "'You can only mean one thing,' he said. "'You wouldn't be afraid to face the future with me now?' "'I wouldn't be afraid at all,' said Evelyn quietly. By and by Mrs. Nairn tapped at the door and smiled rather broadly when she came in. Then she shook her head in reproach. "'You should have been asleep a while since,' she said to Vane, and turned to Evelyn. "'Is this the way you intend to look after him?' She waved the girl towards the door, and when she joined her in the passage, kissed her effusively. "'You've got the man I would have chosen for you,' she said. THE END End of Chapter 31 Recording by Roger Moline End of The Protector by Harold Bindloss